Good morning, Cross Point. When uh, Pastor Natalie asked just a moment ago how many uh, appreciated last week, I thank you for the three of you that responded. <laughs> I thought I had more family here than that, but uh, I mentioned last week that I am pleased to be here during these days, and I know that you didn't get a vote on that. I was appointed by the district superintendent, and I said, yes, I will go. That's not the usual way it's done in the Wesleyan Church. That sounds more like the Catholic or the, the Anglican way. The bishop says, you go and you go. Well, he said, go, and I went, and I'm here. But I just would suggest to you that even though I'm appointed, not voted, if I had had a vote, I would have won because I have so many family here, relatives. <laughs> just occurred to me that uh, that assumes my family and relatives would vote for me. I'm not sure. <laughs> that would be the case. I have family from away here today. Uh, Betty McCollum, who is my sister. Daughter Susan, home from the West, sitting right down here. Hi, Susan. Nice to have you here. Sister-in-law, Debbie Simons, has her son, Josh, his wife, Brandy, and their son, Oakley, right over here. Nice to have you here. <clears throat> that was weak, Josh. I thought you'd get a better hand than that, too. But. I'm speaking to you these days because, I, let me just add this, even though I'm appointed, I feel that the appointment goes beyond the district superintendent. I do feel a clear sense that God wants me here for these days. Amen. And you should know that because, uh, just because you should know it, yes, okay. And I do feel that these summer Sunday sermons, I'm to preach to you from us just taking you back to the basics. And this morning is as basic as it gets. It's the simple gospel. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Simple, very simple. Uh, if I ever, you don't need to worry about me ever getting real deep because I'm not a deep thinker, I guess. So uh, all the years I spent, 21 years pastoring in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, I became known down there as Simple Simons. So maybe there was a reason. <laughs> For that. But this morning, let me share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, as we look to your word this morning, would you speak through your servant today? May we all hear a word from you. We ask that in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I do have good news for you today. In the words of Paul the Apostle that you see before you this morning, he says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. Now, some translations referring translate this this way. Let me remind you of the gospel. They translate it gospel instead of good news. And to do that is okay. The word in the original could go either way, gospel good news. And of course, that's precisely what the gospel is. It's good news. Did you notice that Paul opens chapter 15 of this letter to the church at Corinth with the words, let me remind you. What he's saying to them and what I say to you is that you probably won't hear anything new this morning. He's saying, this is not a new truth. I now share with you. It's a reminder, and I suggest to you we all need occasionally reminders from time to time. And this day, today is such a day. 
So today, I want to simply remind you of the good news. Now, someone this morning sitting here is thinking, well, aren't all sermons, all sermons gospel, and therefore aren't all sermons good news? Well, actually, that'd be a no. You see, you can, you can preach truth without preaching the gospel, without preaching good news. It's like saying cancer is a threat to our health and longevity. Well, that's true, but there's no good news in that statement. That's bad news. But if I were to say to you this morning, cancers that were killers just 40 years ago can now effectively be treated, that would be true and it would be good news. And so if I preach to you this morning that the world is in bad shape, evil seems to be winning the day in many places in our culture, that may be true, but it's not good news. But if I preach... As we sang this morning, there is hope for our world if men and women and boys and girls would turn from their wicked ways and turn to God. That is true, and that is good news. If I preach, the church of Jesus Christ is threatened from within and without in these difficult days. Even that is true, but there's no good news in that statement. But if I preach... Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's true, and that's also good news. So I declare to you this morning up front that the gospel is good news. It's always good news. It's always relevant. It's always applicable. It's always able to shine the light of hope in the darkest corner in every circumstance no exception. So the gospel is good news for Crosspoint here on this day. And so I share with you this morning from the second, what I would call, the second greatest sermon in all of the Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. Why second? Because I would consider Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as probably the greatest sermon in all of the Bible. But this scripture holds the core fundamental beliefs that have been held near and dear by Christ followers for 2,000 years. So now we come to the scripture. Again this week, we, you read so well last week, let's do it again, okay? I'll be odd again this week. Some weeks you'll get to be odd. But this week I'm odd. You're even. Let's go. Let me remind you, dear brothers... Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed.
That's good news, don't you think? And verse 53, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And now, Crosspoint, here is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, in three simple statements. Here's the first. Christ died for our sins. Back to verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important. Say those words, most important. Christ died for our sins. That is where the gospel, the good news, begins. Some people would think, well, doesn't the gospel begin at the manger in Bethlehem? Actually, no. The gospel of Jesus Christ begins with Jesus' death on the cross. You cannot speak of the gospel without mentioning the cross. Now, everyone here probably realizes that the cross is at the very center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we put a a cross on church steeples and on, on church walls. That's why you have one perhaps on a chain around your neck or on a Bible cover or on a lapel pin or maybe you have one hanging from your rear view mirror. We understand that, that the cross is the universal symbol of the Christian faith reminding us that Christ died for our sins. Say that. Isaac Watts penned the words to the old hymn, At the Cross. It goes like this. At the cross, where I first saw the light, it was there by faith I received my sight. That's where the gospel starts. And Isaac Watts is saying, as he penned that old hymn, he's saying, that's where I started. And hear me this morning, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that's where you started. It was on the cross where Christ died for your sins and for mine. What an amazing revelation of God's love. Isaac Watts puts this this way, when Christ the mighty maker died for man. Stuart Hine, the author of the great hymn, How Great Thou Art, was trying to grasp God's great love for us when he penned these words. And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. What great love. Jesus Christ died in my place. Christ died for our sins. That is good news. Maybe you're familiar with the book, The Bridge on the River Kwai. If not, perhaps you've seen the movie made years ago. It tells the story of American prisoners of war being held in a work camp in Burma during the latter days of World War II. At the end of one work day, the tools, uh, at the end of a work day, the tools were always counted, but on one particular day, a shovel was missing, and the guard lined up the prisoners and demanded that the guilty soldier, the thief, step forward and admit that he had stolen a shovel. No one moved. Then the guard went into a frenzy, and he ranted, and he raved, and he cursed at the men before him. And then, so angry was he that he shrieked, Then all die, 
all die. And at that point, he took his rifle and pointed it at the, at these prisoners before him when suddenly one of the prisoners stepped out of the crowd, stepped forward. But by now, the guard was so, he had so lost it that he, he was so furious that he attacked that prisoner and killed him with his rifle, with the butt of his rifle. Minutes later, the tools were counted again, and it was discovered that there was a miscount, and no shovel was missing. And every one of those prisoners of war realized that the man who stepped forward did it out of compassion and out of love for his fellow soldiers. Love made him do it. Christ's death, Christ's death on that cross was a revelation of God's tremendous love for us. Dr. Karl Barth was one of the most brilliant theologians of the 20th century. He wrote volume after massive volume on the meaning of life and faith. Some of what he wrote I can't comprehend. Some of them I can hardly comprehend the title on his books. Deep stuff. A reporter once asked Dr. Bart if he could summarize what he had said in all those books. Dr. Bart thought for a moment, and this is what he said. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. You see it? It's good news. Verse 2 of that simple hymn that we now know, we think of it as a children's hymn. Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gates to open wide. That is good news. Something happened at the cross that day that forever makes a difference in the relationship between God and man, that between God and you. You see, it's personal. That cross on Calvary's Hill all those years ago was personal for every one of us. Maybe you're familiar with the old spiritual from the deep south in the States decades ago that goes, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Think about that. Doesn't that seem like a rather unusual and absurd question to pose? Was I there? I mean, I mean, who would ask you if you were there when Julius Caesar was stabbed to death by his supposed good friend Brutus? You would say something like, well, of course I was not there. That was, 2000, that was over 2,000 years ago. Or if someone were to pose to you the question, were you there when Socrates drank the poisoned hemlock and died? You would say, well, of course not. That was even long, longer ago than Julius Caesar's death. But yet, somehow, it does not seem strange to us when someone says, were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Because hear me this morning, in a very real sense, you were there. It was for you. It was for me. He was our substitute. It was for our sins, yours and mine, he was crucified. That's the first statement of the Christian gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins. Say it. Here's statement two of the three. He was raised on the third day. Now that's good news. Man had done his worst. 
Everyone here probably knows the story. You've heard it, you've read it, you've seen it depicted on television and on, on the screen in dramas. His agonizing death in the garden the night before the cross. His trials before Governor Pilate and King Herod. The beatings, the crown of thorns, carrying his own cross. And then they drove nails through his hands and his feet and they hung him there and he died. He died. We don't like the word died in our culture today, so we substitute other words. One of the most popular words you hear today when someone leaves us is that they passed, or this is nicer, they entered into their eternal rest. How about this one? He expired. I think I'd just soon die as expire, wouldn't you? <laughs> I haven't expired yet, but I will admit to you today, I may be by my best before date. <laughs> but Jesus died, and he was buried. He died, and he was buried. And then in the misty dawn of that first Easter day, God took over, and the earth shook, and the soldiers guarding the tomb, fainted dead away, and angels rolled the stone away from the tomb, and the conqueror of death came out alive. That is good news. Do you believe it? Amen. That is good news. On one of my trips stateside some years ago, we stopped at Arlington Cemetery in Virginia. That's just south of the city, Washington, D.C. And there we visited the grave of John F. Kennedy, not so sure why we did that, maybe because everyone from my generation knows exactly where they were when John Kennedy was shot November the 23rd, 1963. Just like everyone in this generation, unless you're under 25, knows exactly where they were September the 11th, 2001. Well, since I made that trip and I talked to people about being in Washington, I've had people ask me, did you visit Kennedy's grave? And, and, and I would say, yes, I did. I've never been to Israel yet, maybe someday, but if I ever do go to Israel, you know what? No one's ever going to ask me, did you visit Jesus' grave? Because there isn't one. There's an empty tomb, but he's not in a grave Jesus is alive, and that is good news. So the first statement this morning is, Christ died for our sins. Say it. He was raised on the third day. And here's the third statement of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You can live forever. You can live forever. And it doesn't start. That's, this is a sermon for another day. It doesn't start after you die. Eternal life starts now. You can enjoy a peace and a contentment and joy down inside of you that stays there no matter your circumstance, and it goes on forever. You can live forever. And I take you to verse 52. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. What's the word? Forever. Say it. The cemetery does not end it for the believer. That's good news. Death is not a blind alley to oblivion, but it's an open door to the Father's house. Many people around us, they live next door to you. You work with them in the workplace. They see life as having no ultimate meaning. Actor, filmmaker, comedian Woody Allen offers his pessimistic view of life. It goes like this. You're born. You don't know why. 
You're here. You don't know why. You die. Your family dies. Your friends die. People suffer. People live in constant terror. The world is full of poverty and corruption and war and Nazis and tsunamis. And the net result, the final count is you lose. I can't read any more of that or I'll be depressed. Sad words. It seems that for so many today, it's from the womb and then it's mostly gloom until we finally reach the tomb. Hear me this morning. No, no, a thousand times no. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. God has prepared a place for us where there is no gloom and you'll never see a tomb. Over there, you will, there will be no doctors in green and there will be no nurses in white and there will be no fire trucks in red and there will be no hearses in black. One day, God will make everything right. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back when I first graduated seminary, I served a church just down the road from here at Corbett Avenue. At that time, I think it still does, the church... Uh, operated a daycare uh, in the lower two floors, and I lived on the top floor of the, of the uh, church building. And often on my way to the office in the morning, I would, I would encounter kids coming or going to this activity or that. The gym was just over here. So I would often stop as the kids trailed by in front of me and one occasion, just a few months into pastoral ministry for me as a young man, a little boy went by in front of me who had no use of his legs. And he pulled himself along with his arms and his legs trailed like legs of a doll. And that troubling question that rears its head in every one of us from time to time, if we're honest, reared its head inside of me that day. Why? As I watched the little boy pass, I thought, why? How is this fair? God, how could this happen? And then I thought of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that brief moment, way back then, it seemed like the Father whispered to me, this is not the end of the story for this little boy. It won't always be this way. One day, I will make everything right. Read the back of the book. Have you read the back of the book lately? Did you ever read a novel when you were a little impatient with how it all turned out, so you flipped to the last few pages and found out that it ends up all right, and then you're less stressed as you read? Maybe you don't do that. Okay. <laughs> when you go home, open the back of the Bible and read Revelation 21, 22. Listen. In the end, we win. In the end... We win. Yes, go ahead. It's all right. You can do that. Here's what it says at the back of the book. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Christ died for our sins. Say it. He was raised on the third day. You can live forever. Oh, put, put an I in there. Say, I can live forever. I can live forever. This is the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. And this is good news. Let's worship together. Let's stand with me.